In this week's episode, we illustrate how to properly shoe a horse using only household items, how to make homemade fireworks using only orange peels and used chewing tobacco. All that and more up next. Welcome to Super House. All right, everybody, welcome to episode 19 of the Super House Podcast. This is Andrew from Los Angeles. The other guys are going to be coming in as soon as they can. Today I have with me Rob McCallan from Rob McCallan Films. I first met him at one of his screenings for one of his movies called Nintendo Quest, and I thought it was really awesome and also very relevant to what we at Super House talk about um, basically every episode and uh rob if you could just introduce yourself real quick sure uh well he did a lot of the heavy lifting for me already uh <laughs> my name is rob mccallum i do run a site called robmccallumfilms.com quite appropriately as you can imagine and on said site you would find some of the work that i have uh, been creating over the last little while including nintendo quest uh power of grace call which is one of the recent crowdfunding campaigns i've done i've done a follow-up series to nintendo quest as well called The Power Tour. I'm in post-production on Kitty, which is a documentary on the heavy metal band by the same name. I'm doing another video game series called Box Art. Uh, I could go on for a bit, but we'll cut it short right there. All right, cool. And just let's get out of the way right from the top. So you have robmccallumfilms.com Rob and any other social or websites you want to plug right now? That's probably the easiest thing. You can get uh, links to everything through there. So robmccallumfilms.com. If you're interested specifically in Nintendo Quest, just go to nintendoquest.com, and you'll see all the links for everything there, social and otherwise. All right. Awesome. Cool, man. So uh, I have some questions prepared, if you don't mind. Sure. All right. So let's get right to it. Um, first, uh, since I first met you from the Nintendo Quest documentary screening at the Adakoff Theater in Los Angeles... Uh, you, I wanted to ask a game related questions. I, uh, what were some of your favorite games growing up? I know Jay talked a lot in the documentary about his favorite, but I wanted to ask you. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Final Fantasy for the NES is a clear standout. Uh, that's essentially one of the big reasons I became a storyteller because I'd never realized that there's these kind of stories that were out there and that you could be interactive and, and, you know, be a force to reckon with in terms of uh, participation in the narrative. And even as I was doing my postgrad degrees for film school, I was always wanting to get into the game industry and applying for different jobs as narrative designers, going to GDC and kind of talking with other writers. So I would say games, especially early on, like Final Fantasy and even DuckTales uh, in the, you know, the way in which it was a different kind of platformer, very Mario-esque in that there's hidden secrets and stuff, but also really uh, great use of branded uh, IP and licensing. So those two titles definitely stand out. Something like Skies of Arcadia, too, for Dreamcast. Love RPGs in general. Uh, Child Delight is another huge game, a little bit more recent title, of course, but that inspired my latest film that released on Mother's Day called Missing Mom. Okay, cool. And do you think there's uh, any differences between uh, storytelling in video games and storytelling uh, in movies other than the fact that you're the person, you're the avatar in the game, you're... It's more interactive. Do you think there's any any other type of uh, difference, or is that it? I think storytelling is always kind of storytelling. 
it's in hindsight it it kind of probably feels a little bit more universal moment to moment it's definitely different you're clearly in a passive role when you're watching tv and in film and you're watching characters make decisions that you might not make but you would learn from that as a viewer the best example is horror movies right don't run up the stairs when you can run out the front door from the killer you're saying no don't do that and so you're having a a reaction to the stuff on screen versus if you were playing that game say like a resident evil you would run out the front door uh now right 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 the game makers might put a trap out the front door forcing you to go upstairs anyways but uh, you know, there's all these narrative traps that I think ultimately games, media, books, uh, movies, whatever you want to say, they always come back to make us think about who we are in the world that we live in through the choices that we either see other people carry out or the ones that we have to choose. All right. Awesome. And are you into the NES as much as Jay? And uh, yeah, let's ask that first. Sure. Uh, you know, I'm a fan of kind of all games from all eras. It's not about graphics. It's uh, not even about storytelling as much as I've been preaching that already. It's it's just about fun. <laughs> right, it's right, not, right. It's not necessarily about escapism. It's just, you know, something else to do. I love entertainment like so many people out there, and it's a huge part of all our lives. So gaming is, you know, just one of those facets, whether it is an NES controller with an A and B button or whether it's something more complicated like a PS4 controller and the 21 different inputs that offers. It's It's all great. It's all fun. All right, cool. And did you have like a favorite system growing up? Because my personal favorite was probably the Super Nintendo. Oh, I see. This is where the war is going to start because <laughs> of, this, of the 16-bit era, I'm definitely a Genesis guy. Really? So this is going to make the – I wish they were here. The, so here's – Joey just joined us. Hey, Joey, we're going uh, no camera. Sorry about that. <laughs> anyway, that's Joey. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, – what was I saying, man? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, uh, the other members, that's not Joey, I think, but uh, they are big Genesis guys as well. Why do you? Why would you prefer Genesis over Super Nintendo from that era? Uh, to be honest, it's always about blast processing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm, a bit, I'm Canadian, right? So I'm a big sports guy, and specifically hockey, and it doesn't get better than the NHL series, especially right. on Genesis. They just play better, in my opinion. No offense. Uh, yeah, it's just kind of a legacy, coupled with other stuff like Aladdin and Lion King, and you know the the other staples of that library. I just I couldn't beat it. You know, you got uh, even Castle of Illusion is great. Again, some of the Disney titles that came out on on Sega were just seems a little bit superior. Now, you talk about like Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter, you've got me there. The extra button really does help. Right, right, right. But they did have blood on the Genesis version. That's true. That is very true. So at least they had that. Um, but what about you? Just said you're a you're an RPG guy. Yeah, very much so. And there was a lot, of course, better RPGs on Super, uh, especially the Final Fantasy series carrying over. Even Mystic Quest is is fun. I just it just where it's where I went. I went right to to the hockey and sports games, and it was probably probably by the time the 64 came out that I went back and started discovering some of the gem, gems on the on the Super. But I, I would still say out of all the games that I do have in my modest collection, Super is the, the most limited library of offerings. Okay, cool. Um, let's switch it over since you are a film director. you uh, what What were some of the films that you really loved growing up? Oh, man, such a good question. I'm a big fan of uh, 80s fantasy cinema, especially like the, the Jim Henson stuff. So Dark Crystal, Labyrinth, 
never-ending story uh gremlins you know any emblem uh entertainment stuff like as i'm sure you guys can relate to uh it's just all that stuff that brought you out of the norm and uh even had that nice dark twist on it yeah even just watching independence day this weekend which i know a lot of people pant i really enjoyed it for the wacky and zaniness that they were kind of going with the plot it was almost starship troopers-esque without the satire so it's fun robocop stuff like that it's just a lot of fun jurassic park is probably my favorite film of all time i would say really wow oh, okay yeah. huge fan of it i just think it's such a good blend of so many genres and uh it's still part of the fantasy you know aspect of films but they try to ground it in reality like so many other films uh, return to oz is another favorite as well all right cool yeah I've, I've actually heard that uh terminator 2 and jurassic park 1 are the most perfectly paced action films of all time and i gotta say i, I can't argue against that myself it's funny because I'll, you know, before I started making a lot of documentaries, I spent, spent probably eight to ten years as a writer and doing a lot of pitching to different people. And every time I would pitch, they're like, get into the action by page 25, which is usually when the first act ends in out of a hundred page script. And then you're, you're into kind of the, the mayhem, the thick of it, you know, the point of no return. But you look at something like Jurassic Park and even Jurassic World, which came out last year, you really don't get into the thick of it until the midpoint about page 50 that's when kind of you know uh the crud hits the fan so to speak right and i i really kind of appreciate the, those films that are a little bit more slower paced they let you enjoy the world they let you enjoy the characters a bit more aliens and alien are good examples of that too you get to kind of really soak up what's going on with everybody before you know uh, danger closes in right exactly and i and cameron especially has like pretty long shots even in an action sequence which i've always uh, appreciated myself. It's refreshing not to watch an MTV a music video, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It also shows the director knows what he's doing. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Dude, wait a second. Does MTV even make music videos even more? No, not anymore. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see what else we got. And what are some of your favorite films now? Oh wow. I don't even know. That's that's a good question. Uh, this year, I haven't really seen all that much. I've been watching a lot of TV, like most people, you know. Right, right. Stuff, Game of Thrones. Uh, I really liked Vinyl, which a lot of people panned. I right. watched it all uh, together instead of waiting week by week, and then I was saddened to hear that they had canceled it after they renewed yeah, it, it just canceled, last week. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think I've watched the first three episodes. So I want to go back and finish it for sure, even though they canceled it. Yeah, it's really good. I, I actually kind of missed the pilot. I dozed in and out of since it was a two-hour long thing, but I picked yeah. up episode two all the way through and could not get enough of it. And I feel bad for a guy like uh, Ray Romano, who I think is a really great actor. He's fantastic in that show. And uh, I love him. In, yeah, and he's great in Men of a Certain Age, too, which was another kind of short-lived show that was on TNT, I think, with Scott Bakula and, and Andre yeah. Brower. Just great, great character stuff. Again, cut short because the numbers weren't there. Cool. And, and were you like one of those kids that grew up watching film, loving film, and then that like just going to the movies every weekend that made you want to uh, become a director? Like what was uh, what started this? What's the trigger? I've always loved movies. Uh, I didn't I wouldn't say that I went all the time by any stretch. You know, we weren't uh, an affluent family by any means, very much lower middle class. So when you got to go to a movie, it definitely was an event. Jurassic Park was one of those. And I had awesome nightmares because of it. And in hindsight, <laughs> I love that. Oh, yeah, I got terrified by raptors jumping out of closets at me. And so oh, it was great. Man. 
uh, <laughs> yeah. I just I've, I always was the, the you know the kid that had the Disney VHSs or whatever VHS and would just watch them over and over and over again. But I became uh, uh, you know in love with film when I was in high school when I decided instead of reading reports out to class and there was specifically a French class that I took again Canadian eh? um, where we had to come up with a story we had to write very much a narrative and present it in front of the class and instead of reading this thing you know both dialogue parts and trying to show a picture to a class of 30 kids I said I'm gonna make a movie of it instead and uh, it was pretty much an Evil Dead parody the first three films I made were Evil Dead parodies all in French and uh, just, seeing, just seeing the reaction of the class, I'm like, yeah, this is great. This is a lot of fun making it, a lot of fun showing it, and this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. You know, that's interesting because I've, I've, I've made documentaries myself, and uh, I, it does feel like making a documentary is like making a report. Yeah, a, a little bit. The, the first early stuff was very much narrative-driven, but it wasn't that much long after that I decided to make short documentaries. In fact, one of my first films was with Jay, of course, from Nintendo Quest, and it was on collecting. So it's, these things kind of always circle back around, and they're always kind of in my consciousness. Awesome. And uh, since you mentioned it, uh, how is, is is the tour still going on for Nintendo Quest? No, the tour wrapped up uh, late last year. I think it was like okay. October 17th, the, the theatrical tour, which is great. It was released, uh, I guess you could say globally, October 1st, and it's been rolling out on different platforms ever since. There is interest, uh, of course, the series, the Power Tour, which you saw us filming in L.A. for the first screening there, uh, has been sold to New Zealand. There's interest from a bunch of other territories. So that's been really exciting that not only the film is being you know, shown across the world, but the series that we shot about making the film and touring it is out there, too. So really cool. And what has been like the most successful platform it's, it's been on as far uh, financially? May I ask? Uh, it's, it's, it's really hard to kind of break that down because success and financial success are very different. Amazon Prime has a lot of people watching it, Hulu as well. Uh, those are pretty much dedicated to North America, of course. There's the distributor in Germany who picked up the rights to it and they're screening it theatrically over there. Uh, and they have their own proprietary platform as well. I know Red Bull Channel is associated with them and they're going to, I think, show it domestically in Germany. Uh, it, it's really hard to kind of break that down. All right, cool. And uh, let's see. Um, this is kind of a bigger question here, but uh, you've mentioned a couple times before that you are Canadian, and I was just wondering, I know our two countries are pretty, you know, there's a lot of differences, but compared to like Japan or something, it's fairly similar. And But do you think that there are any differences in gaming culture between Canada and America? Hmm. Any at all? That's uh, that's a good meaty question. I I think a lot of people say it's harder to collect in Canada, but I okay. would say that it's maybe a bit harder to collect in the U.S. There just obviously is a lot more shops and a lot more populated areas. So as far as collecting culture, you know, it's I think it's a bit easier to come across stuff, and that's firsthand experience from making Nintendo Quest. Of course, that was almost three years ago now. And okay, things, things have changed a lot, especially in prices. I, I would say gamers in the U.S. are generally a little bit happier about gaming, a little bit more open to community. That's nothing against any Canadian friends I know, but shop owners and just the little communities that we met were much more uh, encouraging to be a part of what they were trying to build instead of gatekeepers. And I'm, I'm not sure why that is. All right, that's interesting. One of my one of my thoughts was that like I wondered if like first person shooters would be more popular here because of insane gun culture or. 
or what, but you think even that is as far as games are concerned are about the same as far as you can tell? I don't have any metrics to kind of sort that out. I would hate to hazard a guess on, you know, are people playing Call of Duty more than they're playing something like Mario Maker or League of Legends. I think people like playing games and, uh, you know, whatever's kind of popular, a lot of people will gravitate towards just to see what all, all the fuss is. So whether it's, uh, you know, the World of Warcraft expansion that comes out in a couple months, people will probably universally, globally shift to that for a bit. And, but you always have the, the staples, the yearly releases like the Call of Duties, like... Uh, League of Legends interest, especially with the rise of esports, I think a lot of people of any nation are starting to look at what that is and how they can be a part of it. All right, cool. Um, and you uh, you also listed your uh, your you know all the films that you're currently working on, and some of them are already in the can, like Nintendo Quest and all that. Uh, the thing that point that popped out to me personally the most was uh, the your He Man documentary. Sure. And I was just wondering, like, why He-Man? Why did you get started on this project? Uh, I think we all have that one, you know, brand or cartoon or toy that we identify with early on, whether it's Transformers, G.I. Joe, Mask. Uh, and for me, it was Masters of the Universe in, in He-Man. I was just at the right age when that came out. Uh, the right age to be watching the cartoon as it, you know, was, uh, you know, syndicated first run. And it just kind of spoke to me. A real great story of a character who's empowered and, you know, as a child, you always feel uh, powerless for a whole bunch of reasons. For me, I had a really weird upbringing, so it was nice to be able to almost have that magic spell or phrase, I have the power and and almost feel that you have the power and that, you know, you don't have to be scared or, or full of fear of the situation around you. So to be able to explore that in depth and meet the people that are responsible for it, the creators, and there's many creators in the, in the eras of of he-man it has been pretty fantastic and what's what's like go ahead joey i was gonna say as a kid i definitely he-man was my toy of choice um i didn't really get many transformers i had a few gi joes but like he-man was definitely like where i where i was at i got had all the castles basically all the characters you know watched the cartoon um yeah for sure love he-man is there is there a certain thing you're trying to say with the documentary, or is it just a love letter to the series? Or it's it's kind of hard to to say how what the film is going to kind of track in terms of thematics because we've only uh, shot about thirty interviews, and I think there's probably another fifty more to go. I, I would say right now it's it's interesting because it's a kind of a fatherless mega brand. Uh, I'll compare and contrast that with something like Ninja Turtles, where you have, you know, Eastman and Layard, who are kind of the guys responsible for it and shepherding it all the way through kind of the 90s until their partnership dissolved somewhat. With He-Man, it's a job for people at Mattel, first and foremost, and it was a toy line before it was a cartoon. And then you have guys like Lou Scheimer and Filmation come in and put their stamp on it. And then the original execs at Mattel are, kind of go walking halfway through the cartoon run, and then you have new people come in, putting their stamp on it, and then you get She-Ra. And then you have a live-action movie, which is different than the cartoon, which is different than the toy, which is different than the comics that are being run, including the mini-comics. And then He-Man goes away. So you have this patchwork of creators that all have a different idea what He-Man is and what it represents and why it's important to different people. And you look at everything from the first run, the 90s, kind of He-Man in Space, New Adventures, the reboot in 2000, and even the current stuff that's out there. And you get this awesome collage of, of fantasy and sci-fi and tech and how it all blends together. And you kind of get to see this universality to it, even though there's kind of nothing in common on the surface. And I think that's kind of important kind of look at 
why something resonates like pop culture in general. Like why does Star Wars resonate when so many different people are a part of it? You know, He-Man is kind of that other Frankenstein thing that people love, but there's no single person guiding it like a George Lucas or like an Eastman and Laird. That's interesting. It, wasn't there a, there was a cartoon released a few years ago, a reboot? Yeah, that was in 2002 by Mike Young Productions. It only lasted 39 episodes, unfortunately, uh, but really cool, a little bit geared towards the older audience, um, anime-ish style, and uh, they even had some of the old veteran writers from the original series on board, too. But yeah, I loved it. All right, cool. If I mean, is there is there like an overall overarching type of I don't want to say message, but like if you look at Ninja Turtles, I, you could you could say that possibly like families number one, we brothers got to stick together. You know, uh, is there anything like that with He Man? Is it basically like let's teamwork is good, or is there any kind of like overarching message like that? I think it would be you know you have the power if you choose to believe you have it and you don't necessarily need a magic sword you can find power and in, in within yourself within the teamwork of others um, you're not alone even though you may be looked down by your parents as Prince Adam was you know you might be doing great things that they don't understand and that you can't communicate to them you'll always have someone that you can talk to like his three friends that know his secret um, so just examining the way in which that power plays within your day to day life and, and what that means to you. You're never powerless and you always probably have more power than you realize. That's awesome. And do you, is this, I mean, I, I, it might be hard to say, but is this your favorite project you're working on currently or can you say? It's really hard to say, right? Like <laughs> I'm, I'm lucky enough to be at that point where I could say, well, this is my favorite project because <laughs> yeah. I, I have so many things in the works, but you know, every day is, you know, I'm kind of shifting different priorities and working on different projects. So finishing up the, the Kitty documentary has been a really awesome journey. They handed me 20 years of archival footage for their band. I mean, they've sold over 2 million records, co-headlined OzFest. So be able to kind of work with them and tell their story and doing like an extended fan cut that's like three hours long, delivered in two different parts. It's been really cool as a filmmaker to tell that long form story that fans are really going to appreciate. And then, you know, the next day I'll look at the footage that we shot at E3 this year. And the day before E3 started, we went over to Trip Hawkins' house, who founded EA, and had a great 40-minute right. conversation with him. And he walked us through the evolution of box art packaging from EA's point of view. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm the luckiest guy alive to be able to talk to these people. And then, like, the week after that, I'm talking to these guys from He-Man. So they're all good for all different reasons. And creatively, they all offer something unique as a challenge to me as a filmmaker. And you're currently like a you're a full time film director. That's what you are doing. That's your job. I'm kind of a jack of all trades. I do a lot of editing, a lot of directing, producing, and writing. It's whatever kind of. I would say I'm a full time storyteller, regardless of what I'm doing day to day. Okay, cool. And what's been like the most helpful as far as like getting your films funded? Is it Kickstarter? Is it Indiegogo? Is it something else? That's. Uh, Kickstarter has obviously been a huge uh, component to us being able to kind of raise the money and get over that final hur hurdle of like, can we do this or can't we do this? But it's really just been the ideas and the team that I have around me in order to kind of make these things happen. Even before the Kickstarter projects launch and people see the pitches and all the great rewards that we're trying to offer, it always starts with the team and the people that I need to count on to make this happen. And if they don't go for the pitch, then it doesn't happen. It's just that cut and dry. So the fact that I have a team that supports and, and believes in what I'm trying to accomplish is, is, you know, the biggest component. All right. Awesome. 
And let me see what else we got here. Uh, I think that might be it, man. Um, just wanted to, I wanted to ask, like, do you have like a dream project? Or are you already working on? It? Is it the He-Man thing? Like, what is what to you? Like, what's the ultimate? What's the ultimate project? Just to keep making films, really, very broad stroke. I'd love to do something uh, very Henson specific, '80s cinema fantasy uh, specific. There, there really isn't something that I can't think of that I couldn't do within, you know, a couple of years. The, the challenge is to just be doing this full time all the time, which is the challenge of any filmmaker, especially one at an independent level like, like I'm at. So just to be able to constantly do this is, you know, been a blessing and the dream. And I love every project I get to do. I get to work on projects that I don't originate and that's always fun as well. So, uh, not to cut the, you know, the answer or twist it in a different direction, but I'm kind of living the dream, very humbled and fortunate because I know a lot of people don't get to do that and just always excited when another project does come my way. That's awesome, dude. So, yeah, any uh, Stefan is here now and Joey, uh, if you guys have any uh, questions, feel free. I think uh, I've uh, exhausted mine. Hey, what's up? Yo. <laughs> Um, I'm just jumping in right now, so I missed pretty much everything. Apologies. All right. <laughs> no problem. Joey, you got anything? Um, I guess you mentioned uh, the, the documentary. It was Kitty. Was that the band? That the yeah, that's Kitty? right. Kitty? Okay. Okay. Do you remember uh, that band, Joey? I do not. Oh, I man. I totally remember. Hit. Oh, cool. So you you know them. Brackish was their biggest hit, probably turn of the century, just before Napster kind of kicked in. That's the one that most people know. Oh, I, yes, I totally remember them, man, okay. yeah. I used to love uh, Fallon Bowman, the bass player. Sure, Fallon, yeah. Man, she was a awesome. guitarist, but yeah, she's great. She had like a side project too, didn't she? Or a band after that was uh, Amphibious Assault, I think it was called. Most of the, the members that have come and gone have been in, in tons of different things. I mean, yeah. you can't, just because, you know, one band doesn't work out for whatever reason, you can't shut that music off in you, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm checking out your site right now. Oh, That's thanks. Great. Did you like Kitty to begin with, or did they just come to you, or how'd that get started? Uh, well, we're from the same hometown, which is, you know, weird to begin with, but, uh, you know, we're right around the same age. Morgan and I are the same age, and uh, we had known each other through the years, and I'd seen a bunch of their shows as a teenager, which has been really crazy going through this archival footage, and it's like, oh my god, I remember that show. <laughs> they they uh, had done a crowdfunding campaign uh the year after I shot Nintendo Quest, so I was kind of busy in post, and even though I was busy, I kind of obviously solicited, and I said, hey guys, I would love to do a documentary on your story. Do you have a director already lined up for your project? And and they did at the time, and I was like, okay, that's cool, and they still lent a track for Nintendo Quest, which was really awesome of them, and flash forward to Nintendo Quest finishing, them going back and forth with their director who was tied up in other projects, they said, if you're still interested, we'd love to work with you, and kind of, again, another dream come true where I get to do a music focused documentary so i was like yes these people are from my hometown this makes sense i know them we kind of have history together i get them let's do this that's great awesome all right guys if we don't have anything else i think that's going to be it rob unless you have any questions for us <laughs> no i just really appreciate you guys taking the time to uh you know think of actually some really thoughtful questions and, and especially stuff that people usually don't throw my way it's uh, refreshing and always keeps my mind uh turning and 
make me think about, you know, what could happen on the next show and stuff, and even about the stuff that I'm working on. So I really appreciate you guys taking the time and having me, and of course, coming out to support Nintendo Quest when we started that tour and, and everything else. It means a lot to me, guys. Yeah, thanks yeah. so much, man. Thank thanks you for, for coming on. If you want to just plug your uh, site one more time. Yeah, sure. Uh, go to robmccallumfilms.com or nintendoquest.com if you want that specifically. At uh, robmccallumfilms.com, you'll be able to see links to DVDs and Blu-rays and digital versions of some of the different projects I've worked on. Of course, Nintendo Quest, Nintendo Quest Power Tour, which is our follow-up docuseries, Missing Mom, the latest film that came out from me on Mother's Day, which has me hitting the road trying to find my mom who's been missing for 25 years. So another kind of road movie. And uh, just everything else I'm doing, including Power of Grayskull and Kitty, Origins and Evolutions. Awesome, dude. All right, man. Uh, we will check all that out. Thanks for coming on. Thanks a lot, cool. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Right. Have a good one, dude. Bye. All right, everybody. So that was Rob McCallum. Uh, his website, if you didn't catch it, was robmccallumfilms.com. That's R-O-B-M-C-C-A-L-L-U-M films.com. And uh, that was it. So, Joey, uh, I don't know how much you can talk about it, but you've been in Mexico for a month? Uh, yeah, I got down here on the 7th. Um, been working on a show. We just, like I just was just saying, we just wrapped. Uh, about to have the wrap party. Um, yeah, it's been fun. It's been, it's been very busy. I've, I've been able to see a little bit of Mexico since I've been here. Um, let's see, uh, staying at a really nice, like sort of resort. So there's like, got to swim quite a bit. Um, there's a water slide. I didn't get a chance to, uh, hit. <laughs> I'm going to try and hit that water slide before I, uh, fly out tomorrow. We'll see. Um, I don't know if I'll be sleeping tonight. I still got some packing plus the, again, wrap party. So, um, I, speaking of Rob, um, I tried to, you know, the internet's not so great here, so I, would, I tried to, I rented it, and hopefully it's downloaded, so I'll, I can definitely maybe try and watch that while I pack at some point. Um, but yeah, like, Mexico's been great. Um, I was hoping to do a little travel video. I got photos and stuff. I can definitely, once, uh, once it becomes, uh, uh, I can appropriate to post photos and little videos that I have, I'll definitely do that. Yeah, I'm afraid to even mention the project that you've been on. I'm going to leave that up to you. Yeah, we'll just, we'll, you know, they've kind of expressed to, you know, kind of leave it secret, so. Loose um, lips sink ships. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a known thing, but, you know, they just kind of want everybody to yeah. keep on the hush-hush about it. <clears throat> no problem. Have you had any, like, culture shock or anything kind of weird i know you've probably been on set most of the time it's but. cool like all, like so we're staying at this resort and the place where we're filming is about 45 minutes out up in the mountains um and um i'm passing all these little uh towns and um, neighborhoods and like you'll see these like kind of small little like there's like a couple of houses and there's maybe like a small church and a small school um, just kind of seeing how like, you know, other people are living is great. Like the, you know, the traffic here is a little different. Um, it's weird. Like, so if you want to make, if you're in like a left hand or a left turn signal, right. The cars are on the right side going left. So they're making a big wide left instead of being on the left lane turning left. So that's pretty interesting. And I was like, we had a red light. I just saw some guy like, looked like he th was cutting traffic. 
And so, you know, just sort of trying to figure all those small things out. Oh, man, that's weird. Any kind of like uh, unheard of Mexican food or anything? Uh, Any new new dishes that you've never had before? I know, I mean, ceviche I, I'd never really had before. It's not necessarily, it's not unknown at all, but um, okay, yeah, I had yeah. some of that and that was really good. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else as far as food-wise. They're just, you know, a lot of tortillas and uh, uh, asada and, you know, sort of guacamole and all that stuff. <clears throat> oh, man. Guacamole is one of my top favorite foods, dude. Yeah, since I moved to California, it's like it definitely grew on me. Oh, man, um, I, I love it. There was, I love it. There was something else. Oh, like, you know, it's like because we're basically at the ocean on the uh, specific uh, Pacific side, um, almost like not every day, but it's like it's real humid down here. So get a lot of thunderstorms. And I'm being from the, the south, North Carolina, we get a lot of thunderstorms. In California, we really don't. So it's fun to like be down here and just have like, you know, being on, on an island with like, you know, lightning storms coming through and, you know, sort of being at where we were shooting and like having to like sort of stop down and just like wait for the rain. And so that was fun. But uh, awesome. it's, it's been very hot. I've been uh, I've been a sweaty mess every day. It's been it's been rough, but it's been fun. Awesome. Yeah. When I was in Japan that that like a, a month and a half ago, there was one day where it rained a lot, like all day. And I, mm-hmm. I and it was like, a it was very kind of relaxing whenever you're inside. Right. Yeah. But also it's like I haven't felt this in so long because we've been in, I've been in L.A. for six years myself now. Right. You know, it's just like yeah, so, yeah. so weird. I just it's it's so normal where we're from. Like Georgia's not much, much different from North Carolina, I imagine. Maybe yes. a little bit more snow, but up where we you're had, from. Uh, one night we had this light. It's basically just a lightning storm. It really didn't rain, but we all kind of had to just kind of go in. And so like the property we're shooting on, there's like a lot of huts. Um, and so it. it it's almost like a maze to get around this place. It feels like you're like running in the jungle. There's crabs running around everywhere. And, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, you're trying to like not step on them. Um, but I, when we kind of stopped down, there's like this little, it's like pitch black. They had all the lights were turned out. You just kind of run around with flashlights. And so I just found this little like kind of hut and it had an opening out to the ocean and just like watching the, the lightning and the, you know, the, the uh, the waves come through it was pretty awesome. Just like kind of just chill and sit in that moment. That's awesome, man. Yeah, your pictures look fucking great. Like you're in fucking paradise. Is ridiculous. <laughs> God. One would say. Yeah, it's unbelievable, man. Yeah, it's it's been Are there fun. beautiful women there. <laughs> <laughs> there there definitely are. We um we got to go into um into town one night for, for a shoot and um, kind of got to walk around and just kind of see all the, you know, sort of the locals and just other tourists kind of walking around. And um, it's been, it's been nice, man. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so going back to, to Rob, I saw his documentary, Ten- Nintendo quest, um, like a year and a half ago, maybe mm-hmm. at this at this uh, Adikoff Theater in in L.A. and it was I just kind of went like my friend said, "Hey, it's a Nintendo documentary," and I was like, 
oh, okay, I guess I'm already in with those two words. Yes. <laughs> and then go in and like when you watch the movie, it's it's like fairly heartfelt because it goes into like the the collector's past and he had some problems with his dad and uh, like why he likes collecting. And it's also like this road trip movie where he's going from store to store to store and it has like this game tracker. Like the point of the movie is it's showing him collecting every North American release NES game. All like 700 of them. Yeah, it's like 678 or something. Yes. Yeah. And they 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 explain in the movie that you uh that they're that they're not going to try to collect the uh championship like competition cartridges cause there's only like two of those or something and they're like a million dollars or something now. Something like that. Whoa. And uh, remember those like Nintendo like championships in the in the 80s? Yeah, kind of like that, but real life. <laughs> There's championship cartridges that are like ridiculously expensive. I've never heard of those. Yeah, yeah. So and they have like a special chip in them. I don't know. if They're not real gold, but they might be, you know, that Zelda gold. Uh, <laughs> And it has like this this tracker for like okay now we're up to two hundred games and up to three hundred and it has and it shows like as he's buying and of course he makes like these purchases he'll buy like you know ten twenty games all at once but then there's like these harder ones to find like uh, Little Samson uh, have you ever heard of this game I believe I've heard of Little yeah. Samson yeah okay so Little Little Samson for people that that haven't heard about it it's it's essentially like a Mega Man clone, as far as I can tell, but instead of a robot, it's more like uh, like a dinosaur hunter, uh, like, like that kind of vibe. I don't know how to describe it. Not not like cybernetic robot guy. And uh, it plays really well. I've played it on emulator, and that game is worth like six hundred a pop or seven hundred in the box. But there's this like holy grail. Uh, that's featured in this in the movie that I didn't know about. There was this video game called Stadium Events. You ever heard of this? No, I've, I've heard of it through like like Nintendo magazine kind of things, like popular collectibles or whatever. Yeah, so this is the number one like tough to find. Yes, it's it's ridiculously tough. The reason is so remember track and field, the very popular uh, mm-hmm. thing with the pad you'd you'd run on, right? So what happened was Nintendo bought stadium events and then repackaged it basically and made it track and field. So this release before it was bought and repackaged became extremely rare and hence it being so expensive. It's essentially that same game. And dude, like packaged, it's like 25 grand or something. Wow. So it's basically like um, when I guess when Nintendo came out, you had Mario Brothers. But then as it became popular, I guess Duck Hunt was separate. So then they put uh, Mario and Duck Hunt together. And then maybe what, a year later or so, I don't know, maybe not even that long, um, they brought in track and field. So you get three games in one with your Nintendo. That kind of idea? Okay. Yeah, yeah, but it's it, like this company had independently made track and I mean not track and field stadium events. Right. And then Nintendo's like that's a great idea. We're buying your ass and we're going <laughs> to we're going to destroy or try to snuff out all of the uh stadium the events. Okay. Yes. But but of course there was a limited release in, in America and I, I've looked this up the the European version and the Japanese version they're not really as expensive. I think they had a much longer release there. 
It's the that North American release, and they it, there's like they go to great lengths to show how he gets this final disc or not disc, but this final cartridge. So that part of the documentary was really fun and just, you know, all the nostalgia from all the other NES games and stuff. Uh, it's great, man. I, I recommend it. It's Nintendo quest, uh, for the listener. I, I, I have a question. Okay. W- was there ever any other game to play with a light gun besides duck hunt? Not as far as I know, there might have been, Joey. Um, I don't think I ever played a single other like, game with that light gun. I'm gonna look this up right I now, dude. Had to, there had to have been something, but yeah, it's it it must have not as been obviously as popular because Duck Hunt came with Mario Brothers. Um, All right, dude. Games compatible with the NES Zapper. Here we go. Okay. The Adventures yeah. of Bayou Billy. <laughs> Baby Boomer, Barker Bill's Trick Shooting, Chiller, Daydreamin' Davy, Duck Hunt, Freedom Force, Gotcha the Sport, Gumshoe, wow. Ho- Hogan's Alley, Laser Invasion, Lone Ranger, Mechanized Attack, Operation Wolf, Shooting Range, To the Earth, Track and Field 2, and oh. Wild Gunman. <laughs> that's, the, uh, that's the list I'm going to try and hunt down. Oh, you want to have like a zapper collection, dude? <laughs> yeah, I you know what when I was at the when I was at the screening I asked uh, if if they were ever going to do one about like going to Japan with Japanese releases but they said that that was not <laughs> in the plans but yeah. uh, I think that'd be really cool. There's probably a lot more yeah, too. Cool. Oh, I bet, I bet, yeah, it would be insane to go to Japan and like try and find all their uh, Famicom games. Yeah, That's probably like twice as much, probably like fourteen hundred. Probably, man. Yeah, you're gonna end up in some ancient Japanese temple. Like, <laughs> <all broken> <laughs> you got your gun on your waist, and there's <laughs> shooting at you. Some Trying to unearth this fucking holy grail game. Uh, I was really hoping like to watch some weird Japanese. I was really dude. hoping to watch Nintendo Quest last night, man. I really want to watch it. <laughs> it's, dude, it's it's great. It's one of the best documentaries I've seen in a while, to be honest with you. And that's not just because I met the dude. It was just I'm interested in that subject matter. Yeah. And yeah, like uh, going back to that, like the uh, it just like occurred to me one day. I saw one of his posts on Facebook, and I was like, "Fuck, this guy would be perfect for a Superhouse interview." Yeah. He like they like already like makes films about shit that we talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, he's a filmmaker that's around our age, so that's yeah. really yeah. awesome. And he's Canadian, right? Yes, he's yes, in... yes. Um, what, what what about him being Canadian? You just like, well, I was just saying you communicated with him through Facebook in order to to uh, set it up. He's not in LA or anything like that. I think he's traveling around. He did ask me when I was setting up the interview what time zone. He could be in L.A. and just thought I was somewhere else. Uh, I, I really don't know. I didn't ask him, actually. But, uh, I, I mean, plus he's, like, making these, like, road movies. He might actually be Canada-based. Yeah. But, but every but you know, kind of all over the place. I did hear him say a boot. Oh, yeah. He, you know, I, I know that not every... Canadian person has that accent, but he and his friend Jay definitely do. A boot and an oot. There's, you know, there's all kinds of accents in Canada as well. 
especially the French. How much Trailer Park Boys I've watched. <laughs> I've never seen that actually. <laughs> what? Never have. Yeah, I've never watched it either. Uh, trailer Park Boys is the best. But I you got to be into that particular flavor, that com- com- Canadian comedy. It's very distinct. Andrew probably would hate it. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. I'll try anything. I, you know what though? I do have a hard time getting used to new comedy. Yeah. Like when I first started watching Portlandia, my brothers were watching it, and I, I could not stand it at first. Now yeah. I love it. Now, now I'm addicted. I can't like. Yeah. I've seen every episode. It's so weird. Like I, I do. It's some personality quirk I have. I, I just can't get used to new styles of comedy very easily. I know you've been, you've been really. Uh... Like vehemently against a lot of comedies in the last, I don't know, 10, 12 years or so. Like which ones? <laughs> um, I remember when like Knocked Up came out and stuff, and you're just like, eh, it doesn't really do it for me, you know? And, oh, I like and Knocked Up. Maybe I've gotten used to it or something, but I like, was, I like Knocked Up. Yeah. There was a couple I remember back in the day, and it was just like, or like, I don't know, maybe it was like, uh, wet hot american summer style comedies or something that were just a little too like what's the word absurd yeah more so than like wet hot american cerebral. and like even like napoleon dynamite when they came out sort of when we were in scad um right. I, I, maybe it was napoleon I dynamite it. actually but. yeah like i it's same with like the state like i i thought some of the stuff of the state was funny but like for the most part it was just it was just weird to me but like yeah. Over the years, it's, it's definitely grown, and I've like come to really appreciate it and just kind of yeah. see it for just it being just silly. Okay, so uh, yeah, speaking about that, I remember everybody was starting to get into Arrested Development at, at Superhouse, and it, God, I remember I yeah. hated it. I, I was like, why do these motherfuckers like this shit so much? Yeah, that was another one. I didn't I didn't start really watching it and from the beginning to end until like I think probably. I want to say it was before the the new season had been announced. Uh, we had started watching. I think it came on Netflix or Hulu or something, and we started watching it. But yeah, it's yeah, yeah I like it. I, I'm like I'm like the reverse of that. I, I felt like I am. Um, I was like in on the ground floor at first. Like, ooh, nobody really knows about this show yet. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's hilarious. And then like it was completely ruined for me after a while. I swear, every time I went to go hang out with somebody at their house, it's like, hey, you want to watch Arrested Development? Like, everybody had those DVDs in Chicago at the time. Like, everybody had all the full seasons, and it was just... Yeah, it, it did become quite popular. I didn't... I remember I didn't I didn't yeah. like that either at first, but I, I started... Like, I've now seen every episode. Like, I, I, I do like it a lot now. Yeah. I, it's just weird, man. I remember when, even when in middle school... Jordan got really into South Park, and I remember I, I even hated that the first like two episodes or so, and then after that it became yeah. one of my favorite shows. It, it's just something weird about me. Yeah, you're like you got like uh, you have your defenses up against like the comedy. Uh, defenses, defense world, sounds so. You know, like, <laughs> defense sounds so weird. I, I would say just not used to. Really, that's just plain, plain and simple. Just not used to it. You seem like skeptical, like, I'll decide for me what's funny, not for you, you know. Uh, I think, uh, I don't know, I, I, you might, maybe you're right, but it doesn't, I think it's just a getting used to thing. It's just simple. So, 
So, so you, I saw on your uh, Facebook that you, um, you saw Popstar recently. Yeah, I, I, dude, I laughed my ass off, man. I thought that was great. Really? Did you see I, it? I'm like, I can't stand. I haven't seen it. I can't stand Andy Samberg. I love Hot Rod, but I just really. And the trailers looked horrible to me. I don't know, man. I've been a Lonely Island fan for a while, and it's 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 easy to see how he's kind of yeah. like he's making fun of Bieber, but he's also it's a commentary on their relationship. It's about it's about like like Andy Samberg's character is the one that makes it, and the other two Lonely Island guys don't make it as much, and yeah. they sort of comment on those sort of real life events, and they do it in oh, a kind God. of kind of like a tasteful way, and. You know they're making fun of somebody that's really full of themselves at the same time. So it's it's I don't know, man. I I like it. I I, I mean yeah. since ever since like jizz in my pants or whatever, I've been laughing my ass off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that first album was great. Um, I've I've since grown to like not be too into Long Island, but I don't know. Maybe that's what you mean. So how do you feel about? Like movies, like Jody Hill movies, um, like The Foot Fist Way, or uh, or what's that show they did, East Down and Down. You know what? I, I actually have I haven't uh, seen those. That guy seems sort of funny, but I just never seen it. And the Vice Principals trailer oh, looks yeah, yeah. looks pretty good. Yeah, I love those. Yeah, yeah East Down and yeah, Down was great. Foot Fist Way. I love the one with the one with Seth Rogen was good too. Where he was the security guard. What was that one called? Oh yeah, Observe and Report. Uh, Observer that's, Report, yeah, that's yeah, probably that dark, one of dude. my favorite like, <laughs> dark comedies ever. Yeah. That's one guy's career that I've completely missed, uh, and I'll probably catch up at some point, but yeah. I don't know. He's like connected to like David Gordon Green and and that like North yeah. Carolina. Southern, oh, yeah, those guys uh, are a Click. I mean, the, the oh, Vice yeah, Principals like trailer's it. making me laugh my ass off actually no getting used yeah, to that yeah. like i I already like it <laughs> <clears throat> yeah that one looks good even like dude like speaking of me getting used to shit like like i everybody seemed to always like everything on adult swim but like that shit is so uh-huh. fucking weird to me like i hardly ever like i don't even think to this day i got used to aqua teen hunger force it just yeah. weirds me the fuck out like i don't want to watch a fucking me? What about Metalocalypse? I, you know what? It's weird. I, I, I didn't like that one that much either. But actually, lately yeah. in the past week or two, I've been revisiting it, and of course, same yeah. pattern. I like it now, but it, yeah. it's just it just feels like with those shows, a lot of Adult Swim shows, uh, including this one, they're not making jokes the same way other shows are making yeah. jokes. Like and a lot like- of the. That's definitely a good thing, but it's like we're not really used to it. Yes. You know what? It's, uh, I think one thing about uh, Adult Swim is it's like it's like kind of stoner humor, you know? Like it's it's a lot of those shows. It's a very different experience when you watch it super stoned, and when you watch it just like somebody's watching it on TV or like super stoner. Right, and I mean that's just that's just one thing I'll add to it, just because just because that you know that like really dumb kind of out of left field weirdness and stuff where it's just kind of like it's that little it's that tunnel of light your brain goes through when you're getting super stoned just for my experience 
You know what? If you if you want to get deeper into this conversation, I, I feel like like if you watch a drama or if, like especially like let's give an extreme example, like if you watch like a World War II film or something like that, you're you're yeah. sort of ready to be challenged. But when I when I watch uh, a comedy, it's I'm just usually not in the mood to be challenged at all. I just want to laugh. So I yeah. think that whenever I whenever I uh, watch some of these Adult Swim comedies, it, it's kind of experimental slash challenging humor, and and just sure. oftentimes I'm just not I'm just not in the mood for that. I, but then again, give me like a a year, a year or two or more, and I'll be. Damn. I'll be laughing my ass off too. I'll finally get used to it. Uh, it's weird, man. It's weird. Yeah, so you gotta let it sit. Yeah, exactly. I think with those kind of shows too, like there's an air of like, if you don't get this, then you're never going to get it kind of thing. You know, it's like, this is either your thing or not. Well, you know, that's... There's, no, there's never any like, no, let's catch you on the next joke. It's just like rapid fire weirdness for a lot of those shows, especially like Squidbillies is one that I can never really get into. But yeah, it's I, funny too because my brother loves that. Not Jordan, but Taylor. Yeah, yeah. And you know, like one uh, Boondocks was one that took me a while to get into. And at first, I hated it because from from a distance, it just sounds like characters yelling all the time, which it is. But <laughs> the context for that yelling is is fucking hilarious once you sit down and like watch the episode. Um, and I think Squidbillies is kind of like that too. That one was that less one. weird for me. The the with boondocks that one's sound pretty standard like we're gonna make a black anime it's like okay that pretty much makes yeah. sense anyway I, go ahead joey when i was um like for me like just coming up watching movies like there were certain comedies that i enjoyed and yeah like you know when talking about earlier like the state and um sort of adult swim like metal Apocalypse and south park i feel like a lot of those had like social commentary that at that point like i didn't really understand um, but since I've gotten, I've, I've grown older and gotten more like sort of political and sort of like really um, kind of seeing the world, you know, as I've gotten, because I've grown older, those type of comedies, uh, re- you know, I want to see more of and, and less of like um, something with Vince Vaughn or, uh, you know, Paul Blart Mall Cop or something, you know, where it's just like people doing slapstick comedy. Like I want to see some, something with some meat on it. You know, something I haven't really seen before in comedy. Yeah, I feel the same way, man. It's weird, too, because if you if you say to somebody South Park is one of the smartest shows on television, they'll think you're a fucking idiot. But, I mean, the social commentary that they make a lot of the time, it really does make sense and it makes you think. And it's somewhat deep. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. deeper yeah. than most shows, especially any kind of comedic cartoon. So... It's crazy, man. I mean, I think it's even deeper. It's weird. Uh, Simpsons is is inherently uh, sort of left wing, but they don't push any kind of political message. They push, they pitch like, you know, a family first kind of message a lot of the time. Right, right. But they, but like South Park really has this like biting social commentary that that really hits hard. And and to see to see that, I I love it. I, I it's so it's great. I think it's great. That that episode, that Soto Sopra, Soto Sobra or whatever, the um, the lofts at Soto Sopra or whatever, that was. Do you know what I'm talking about? It was a season before last, I think. What was? That? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Soto Sopra. Yeah, yeah. The the hipster trendy area. Um, so when that, 
Yeah, dude, when that came out, so Denver has kind of been blowing up in the last four or five years in, in an extreme way. It's kind of crazy here now um, in a lot of good ways and a lot of bad ways. But um, but that Soto Sopra, the lofts, that Soto Sopra and stuff like that, you see these places just like pop up, these like Lego condos just like pop up one after the other. They're everywhere and everybody's got a little concept and a hip, chic, little trendy font and, you know, like... And when that came out on South Park, I was just like, oh, my God. And I know those guys are from uh, Denver, more or less. But it was just like, I'm, I mean, I'm sure that's happening everywhere in the country. But it was just like so on point. Like, I never laughed so hard. Just like, I love so much about that style of comedy because it kind of like shoves the world's bullshit back in its own face. The gentrification, basically, of the whole world. Yeah, exactly. That's what it, what it Turning feels like. Turning everything into like some kind of brand, you know. It's weird, too, because uh, you see a lot of these places get gentrified like this, but then you hear like we're, you know, you, you, I can't help but feel that we just got out of like the biggest depression we've seen since the 20s. So it, it's just like, did we just swing completely the other way? Like, how do we go from depression to all of this? You know, have you, ever, have you guys ever thought about that? Right. As far as this, <clears throat> elaborate a little more on. As far as the economy having so much money that people can gentrify areas to oh, this okay. to this That's scale all, as what, well. Yeah. What it is is the is the disparity between like poor and wealthy. There's like the middle class is dissolving. Right. 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 So, so what you end up having is like, you have a lot of inflate or not inflation, but you have a lot of like prosper in the economy and one side of things, but on the other side of things, like people are just getting poorer. Right. The definition of poor is is going down as the definition of rich is going up. Right. And you, a lot of people are starting. Oh, go ahead. You'll see a lot of these sort of neighborhoods that are, um, getting more expensive uh the they're building new condos apartments whatever so it's yeah. like in, in la i kind of see it um there were uh, a friend of ours lives <clears throat> in san francisco um, but you'll see a lot of these sort of apartments they'll come up and they're very expensive and within like maybe a couple maybe six months like the the apartment um is is like maybe 25% occupied. You know, it's taking up so much space and, and it's so expensive that not everybody can move there, but they're, they're popping up everywhere. So you have like these sort of like, uh, I forget what they called it. Um, it was like a vice episode. They're like ghost apartments or, or something like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just like, they're, they're just pushing the sort of the poor out to like house like uh, a, a limited few in these sort of big complexes, you know, that not everybody yeah. can afford. You know, it's not like it's not like they're they're like 100 occupied. And they're like, oh, we're, we're all rich, you know. It's uh, yeah, it's, yeah. So so what they do out here is like when they build um, a lot of these condos, there's a certain a certain number of floors, like three floors down at the bottom, that is like Section Eight housing. Oh, okay. And and then the rest of them are like, and then there's another chunk that's kind of like by income for for not Section Eight type of uh, income. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then and then the rest of the floors are more or less like luxury, like 
for um, more well-off renters or whatever leasers. All right. And, okay. So it's, so a lot so a lot of those complexes end up getting a lot of like funding through having those like tax breaks for those low income programs that they're doing, um, which are cool because they like, give people homes and places that they wouldn't probably normally be in outside right. of like a project or, right. or even in like my case, like, you know, I've never really lived in like a nice condo or whatever, but I lived in a lot of old apartment buildings and like renovated houses and stuff like that. So now, now that that's changing, especially here in Denver, as the market is, is starting to grow, um, you know, it's, there's a little bit of leeway within these like condo structures and these more corporate kind of projects where, you know, somebody of this level of income can still get in and out. And the places are essentially all the same. <laughs> okay. That's, uh, I'd never heard of that. So, that's yeah. a little on them for, for it's like, crazy, yeah. kind of making it accessible, uh, for everyone, you know, sort of the lower floor. Yeah. Well, and kind of, it's only, it's only so much in order to facilitate that tax break. Really. Right. Right. You know, yeah. 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 You know, that's pretty much gentrification in a nutshell, right there. It's like there's good and bad, a little bit of good, a little bit of bad, but really, it's just about what we can gain from it. Right. <laughs> the, right. The sole individual yeah. or private owner or whatever. Interesting. I'm sure that hit home more for you, man. That the soda sopa shit than anybody else. But uh, I think even parts yeah, of it, of it Atlanta, or it's happening a bit like that in Atlanta more and more too, and mm-hmm. that is interesting are there like a lot of like redneck type characters like the like south park has in that area <laughs> hell yeah man like okay i just don't associate well, colorado yeah. with like red <laughs> rednecks well, not so colorado if i if i can be a little blunt about it like denver is is predominantly like yuppie you know and i don't know how you guys might take that particular designation but it's more like I don't know how you describe it. It's a lot more vanilla than in its majority. And then you have like a huge chunk of like native Mexican Americans, um, like myself who identify as like Chicano out here. Okay. And then you have, and then you, and then you have, you know, a very small, uh, black community by comparison. Um, within Denver and the metropolitan area itself, uh, and then and then you have you know and then and then everything else is just like small mountain cities and then small mountain towns. Um, so you have like a good mix between the like the kind of like how can I describe the the yuppie? <laughs> you know yuppies. I mean, they come out there or they're they're from there and they're just kind of from rich white families well, and they ski and snowboard and shit. Yeah, exactly. Just kind of like the more mainstream kind of American that isn't your like middle America, Oklahoman who's watching Fox News or CNN for that matter, or, or, you know, just kind of like getting the subscribed, prescribed kind of way of life. You know, you have you have like new families and like newer money that have come in here and they've bought up a lot of the the pro- I, I used to be able to rent out here pretty much anywhere for like 350 to 400 uh, a month for like a two bedroom apartment or, or a small house. 
Yeah, and in the last four years now, it's turned into it's crazy. Like, um, I've in the last uh, few places I've lived, I've lived with more than two or three roommates just because it like brings the cost down. So we just rent houses um, that are pretty cheap, like nothing bit more than like twelve or thirteen hundred. But you know, that's like a four bedroom house. And the last couple were kind of shitty. That's but anyway, I digress. <laughs> I mean, it must be that, now that it's, weed economy, man. Yeah, definitely. Now it's much different. Like what the weed has brought in, has made a lot of money for the state um, at this point, a ton of money. It was something like in its first year, it was what was this, like almost $6 billion. God, California needs that shit. Yeah. And now they've, and now it's even more. And so what it's done is brought the interest. Um, what I see a lot um, around here, just like socializing, is you know you run into a lot of what are called like MMJ professionals, marijuana <laughs> or, professionals. Or like yeah, exactly. And they're and you know it's so, it's so weird because like you think if you think anywhere else in the country, you think about stoners and weed and stuff like that. You think just that. You think like Cheech and Chong. You think fucking hippies and you know like uh, low motivation, low drive. You know like those all the stereotypes of stoners. But you see people who have invested time and money and made careers out of marijuana out here, and it's just like you know they're just they're you know, young uh, professionals, young urban professionals that have made, you know, the conventions of, of weed and the stereotypes of weed culture is kind of gone out the window at this point. It's really weird. More of like the ski community and snowboard community and craft brew community out here have adopted marijuana and kind of turned it into their own thing, um, which which in a in a retail and commercial way has been great because I can just walk up the block two blocks and go buy and eat the weed for 25 bucks. Plus, I mean, um, I mean, like, then, go ahead. Sorry. No, uh, uh, that's pretty much. <laughs> okay. So, so, I mean, just coming from Georgia where it's really, really illegal, it's even more illegal than Alabama for some reason. I don't know how that happened. Uh, it's just called the fines are worse. But uh, wow. you come here, and it's not as legal as California. I mean, as Colorado, but you know, you can get it with the card. And right. to see something like that become legal, and to see just how non shady it can be. Yeah, like you have like weed not from like some shady dude at night that you don't know that you're buying off the street somewhere. Right. To something grown in a lab, sold at a store, made yeah. by scientists. Uh, yeah, sold sold by cute little widespread <laughs> panic girls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the, the dude, the vibe is completely different, and it, it just like yeah. it's it just goes to show you, man. Like the, a law around something really does change. The perspective of it, at least in this case, I don't know if that'll happen with everything. Well, it creates a stigma, you know, and, and when things are treated criminally, you know, like there are people still in prison right now who got caught seven years ago or probably 20 years ago plus right. for smoking a joint. Right, you know right, I mean? right, and right, right. There are people just getting out of prison. So anyway, um, it's like uh, 
you you got a point. You know, it's like the way that people look at these kind of things. And now, like what I'm saying is like, it's a little cleaner. The the cultural references that are establishing themselves in Denver and Washington, and and LA are are a little bit cleaner to approach. You know, you do, like that non shadiness. You know, you don't attribute 420 culture either to the Cheech and Chong kind of stoner or to like like a thug in the ghetto or something like that. You know what I mean? It's just uh, <laughs> there's a well. I'm just you know I'm just saying. But there's a it's whole like a David shed on. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I'm too oh, excited today. a whole today. different light shed, shed on, on this, you know, quote unquote drug, which is a fucking flower, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that stigma has lasted for so long. You know, I was so scared as a kid to smoke weed because I thought I would immediately get handcuffs slapped on me. <laughs> and, um, and now it's like a totally different thing. You know, it's like fucking, it's like Scooby Snacks. Well, that's probably what Scooby Snacks were based on. That shit was in the 70s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's like Oreo cookies. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, man. It's just the whole the whole vibe changes entirely. And, I, you know, I wonder. I, I mean, really, we need to maybe become like the country for weed. Like, seriously. I mean, we're we're what? destroying yeah. like the crazy uh, cartels in, in, in Mexico, apparently. And yeah. and all that. Like, And it, it seems, to, seems to help local state economy. So... I mean, I wonder if it'll like suck it, suck some of it out of Colorado as soon as uh, every state becomes legal. But uh, uh, it still might be net good, you know. Maybe, like, what if that becomes yeah. like America's export <laughs> is is weed? It really should. It's, you can grow it anywhere, pretty much, and it's like, you know, as soon as these tycoons and shit, all these old oil money and stuff, as soon as they realize they can make just as much and probably more money off of like hemp. Yeah. Right, right, right. You know, then, then, then things will start to change. You know, but it's just like, I don't know, I don't know what the fix is there. But I'm just saying, you know, there, the, 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 it's not just you know smoking the weed and getting high and doing it recreationally or whatever. It's, it's, it's what those plants actually can do, and the uses of them are like so widespread and broad. You Dude, know, there was this. You know, there's, there's. Sorry, go, go ahead. Okay, well, there was this thing on Reddit where uh, it showed that, that mar a marijuana plant had protected some old portrait painting for like 500 years wow. or something. <laughs> something like that, dude. I don't know how this happened, but and then the yeah, top dude. comment, the top comment on Reddit was, "Is there anything it can't do?" <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure, man. Like I, I read, I read articles every day about like the cancer curing properties of cannabis oil and um. And just different like concentrated marijuana extracts and products and stuff like that that you know but you don't i mean you don't hear about that at all because the medical industrial complex is all pharmaceutical it's not i think that'll just be in a fringe medicine article uh publications and stuff for a while at least <laughs> but of course shit's getting yeah. switch shit's switching up you yeah. know it's changing Look, we're sold we're sold so much like synthetic all the time and like people aren't aware like there's so many plants like not just weed you know there's so many different types of plants that stimulate different parts of your brain that we're not even aware of at this point that are in small little countries in the rainforest or whatever 
and I, yeah, just like the uh, power of these plants. I think that there that might be true, and not that. I mean, I like to believe that there's only one type of medicine, which is medicine. Like when people start to separate, sounds like you're going into like Eastern medicine versus Western medicine type of thing. Not even. Oh, you're not going there at all. Okay, sorry, that was my mistake. No, it's it's well. So you think about it like most like you're talking when you talk about medicine you're talking about pharmaceutical medicine right no 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 no, no. I, when i when i say medicine i mean of course it's part of it but I, medicine just this should should be defined simply as just one thing i think that a lot of people especially in like uh like hippies and buddhists or whatever in america you know i meet a lot of yeah. other people interested in in asian culture and stuff and there's always this like eastern uh Eastern medicine versus Western medicine. And um, it is true that there just hasn't been a whole lot of studies on a lot of the Eastern plants. So we can't say right. here, here or there about, about a lot right of it. Here, I'm talking about on farms in Oklahoma and shit. I'm talking about right here in the States. Okay. Okay. But also, okay. you know, like when you say, when you say, when you say medicine, you know, I mean, there's so many different types of medicine. Medicine came from plants, you know, it's, for the most part, I mean, now there's like chemical synthetic medicines and, you know, in the last 100, 200 years, probably. But right, well, so, right, right. So, so me, I was like, I was kind of raised with like a Native American influence. And my mother, she's a studied herbalist. Right, right. And um, so we've had a lot of, I've had a lot of, uh, you know, like medicinal plants and herbs and stuff introduced into my life from really early age. And still to this day, I use a lot of that stuff. Um, I hardly ever catch colds, you know, I hardly, I'm hardly ever sick. My immunity is anyway, that's interesting. But Yeah. So it's just, it's not, you know, it's like, we, it's hard to be able to define like medicine just as one thing. Cause what is that one thing? Well, I think it's any type of plant or something like that, that will, uh, you know, heal an right, ailment right. or something like that, yeah. whether it's synthetic or not. Yeah. Um, I, I think mean, a lot know, of like, it, like, like some types of whiskeys and stuff like that were originally distilled as medicine, you know, and, and, and then they became, and through generations have become more of a recreational thing. Right. Um, yes. I can see that. But that's just, that's just the thing. It's just like, you know, there's just so it's like a vast frontier of things right that right now that it's, the only way you're going to know anything about medicine is, is if, is if that's your like prime focus of study, or, or, you know, it's you're something you're incorporating into your own health and well-being. Um, so, like, mostly when I think of medicine, when somebody says medicine, I think of, like, what the doctor is prescribing you, which is mostly chemical, which is mostly refined and processed, you know, plant matter or chemicals taken from plants, which isn't the same thing as, as ingesting the plant matter itself. I actually, I get that. I get that. Like, I, you know, I'm... I consider myself a skeptic, but at the same time, um, I, I am open to that kind of stuff. And also like, I try yeah. to live as naturally as I can as well. I mean, yeah. of course, I drink Starbucks and shit, you know, but I don't, I, if I get a headache, I don't take, I don't pop an aspirin two seconds afterwards. Like I, I hardly ever take any medicine right. at all. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's weird. Are you just like dehydrated or something? Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing. I, yeah. People try to treat, the symptoms without addressing the problem like right. maybe you get headaches every day because you hate your job or right. <laughs> or something like something <laughs> like that yeah. you know what i mean it's it's always pe- well, 
that I often feel like this. It's I hate to use the word holistic, but you should try to at least look at things holistically. And, and yet, and you know, I think a lot of people in the skeptic community hate that word, but. I mean, uh, I, I think that it, yeah. in America, it's gone so extremely the other way, the opposite end of holistic, that right. uh, I think it we're, might do us some good to go a little bit back in the other direction, at least. Yeah, we're really not taught how to take care of ourselves uh, in school or, you know, like our parents don't probably know either. And parents nowadays probably don't know either because the, the like conduit of information is broken there. Right. Like it's not part of our daily lives to, you know, these are the steps that you need to go to take care of yourself. And there's so many, you know what I mean? But it's not an emphasis put on us um, when we're young because we kind of just pass the buck to doctors and, oh my God, we better just go to the doctor because I feel weird. You know, and there's so many, like the human body is, is an organism of many organisms. And there's so much that could be going on that can be simply fixed through some of these quote unquote holistic methods. Um, but they're only that because we don't have a frame of reference. And I think that kind of scares people. You know, it starts to become uh, an issue of one's own beliefs and one's own, uh, you know, upbringing. Um, because because we're always taught just to take you know two spoonfuls every few hours and call the doctor if the uh, if the condition persists you know but most medical professionals in any country are taught pharmaceutical medicine not anything not a natural kind of way you know and so when you have people that go by like natural paths or holistic healers or Eastern healers, there's a whole wealth of information that has been disavowed um, merely because it's not pharmaceutical. Here's the thing, like, again, as, as the skeptic in me, I, I know the skeptic community, they're going to, as soon as you say Eastern or the, 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 the what'd you say, what was the <laughs> other version you said? Like, they're, they're going to, like, hate that. But, or yeah. yeah, yeah. But at the same time, um, there aren't there aren't a lot of, uh, to play devil's advocate here, there aren't a lot of, like, Western studies on some of these things, and... Right. Well, I mean, as far as, like, like, I'm not saying that you should, but, like, the best, and right. you know, don't try anything that'll kill you, but the best way to see if it works is to try it for yourself. So, yeah. well, uh, again, that's, I don't, I'm not saying you should do that, I'm not advocating that, I, I can't do that yeah. legally, but I, I'm saying, let me just say, I've thought that before, let's say that. <laughs> right, right. And, and just to finish my whole spiel is um, there are uh, a lot of Western studies on stuff like this. It's just not necessarily um, like accessible to most people or not, or most people just aren't exposed. You know, it's kind of one of those things that you got to go looking for because it's not part of like the mainstream prescribed set of information. And I'm not saying that it's right. held secret. I'm just saying it's there, but you kind of—it's the special interest, more or less, you know. And, yeah, like one one thing science, that the science is there, but the economy or the the market is not necessarily built in. One thing that comes to my mind when you say that, uh, as far as like Western studies on like Eastern type things, I did read yeah. that uh, they. I don't know, I don't want to say proven, but it seemed like some studies suggested that acupuncture for the lower back works. And there's been, there's a lot of uh, speculation on other, the other 
applications of acupuncture, but for lower back pain, as far as what I know anyway, it seems to work. Mm-hmm. And that's something that was considered bullshit for the longest time. And also part of the reason is right. in, in the ancient Chinese uh, thinking of it as well, as far as I can tell anyway, there was like, I think like meridian lines, you know, or I don't know, ley lines or what's it called? Like uh, sh- not chakras, that's Indian, maybe some sort of chakra type of thinking and well, I think, I think uh, right the, 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 the points in the body, yeah, the meridian points in the body or whatever. So that was one thing that like really sets a flag up for, for, for people. But, but, you know, at the same time, uh, even if they did have that thinking, that doesn't mean necessarily that they can't, they can't reduce pain, which apparently they can in the lower back at least. Yeah. So, well, you know, that shit, that shit's yeah. really interesting, man. It is definitely there's I mean there's definitely a lot to talk about in in terms of that kind of stuff. Uh, I think it's really interesting to me because I, you know, like when you go to the doctor, they are relying a lot on on tests they can run and certain protocol that is involved. Um, also, dude, legal legal implication, man. Are you kidding me? Legal. Legal. Yeah, definitely. That's like every, that's everything, man. And, and the information that you exchange with this person is is in in one way on the record and then in another way there's you have to be able to communicate with this other person with you because things can be easily interpreted strangely especially from their base of knowledge being a doctor and from your base of physical awareness <laughs> and so <laughs> there's um I guess basically what I'm getting at is that there's uh, there's a lot of different things like coming into play. The best way I think to think of a body from like a physical perspective and dealing with medicine or having used medicine and like my mother being like the herbalist she is like every week she's telling me to take this thing and that thing and you know. Um, but oh man, I lost my train of thought. Fuck. <laughs> don't worry about it don't worry about it is uh, that weed you've been smoking man right i know exactly it is and, and, <laughs> no, you admit that, it that that's my that's my medicine that's my medicine for the time being <laughs> right 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 but yeah but it, but it's interesting to see where the division is there because you have to find a way to trust oh what i was gonna get at is like a good way to think of the human body is like it's so many small components that come into play that anybody who has a base of knowledge on the human body, like a studied um, knowledge on how the body works, is going to have something good to give you, doctor, holistic healer, whatever, acupuncturist, whatever. Um, but, you know, the human body is like, you know, you can, you can fix your hard drive, but if your speakers don't work, your speakers aren't going to work. You know what I mean? There's many different angles to look at with a body and I guess I just think it's kind of like our, our from the public's point of view like our awareness of what is out there for our own benefit is 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 not exposed to us regularly which I think is I mean kind of an obvious statement <laughs> <laughs> don't, that's, don't worry about it um, we're actually at an hour and a half dude so I think we might uh, cut it there what do you think I'm 
<laughs> Sorry, man. You seem a bit uh, upset about that. No, I'm not at all. I had a oh. good time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's all it's all good. Um, I mean, we're going to um, – dude, we uh, – all three of our listeners, we do have some pretty cool topics planned for whenever we have a bigger crew here. Uh, what else we got? We want to thank Rob McCallum one more time. And uh, we're on Twitter at Superhouse Pod and Superhouse Podcast and all other social media. Uh, we're probably going to be off next week because of July the 4th weekend. And anything other than that, I'm not sure of um oh and we're probably going to talk about a week or two weeks late the game of thrones finale which is tonight as of this recording uh yeah step and say something okay go all right bye You're listening to the Geekscape Network.